Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. My brother Nathan is going to come and read the scripture for us this morning from Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. Amen. The word of the Lord reads. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. We thank God for his word. Thank you, brother. We've all had bad nights. We've all had rough times. And Jesus is from a group of people who are intimately familiar with suffering. Jesus is from the Jewish people. He's from Israel, who at this point in Jesus' life, at this point in history that we're reading, have been ruled by the Romans for a hundred years or so. Prior to that, they had been ruled by the Persians. Prior to that, by Babylon. The Jewish people have not been free, truly, for 600 years. They had a a short time of independence. They had a short time of freedom. But even then, they were always worried about what was coming next. These were a people under the thumb of oppression. And I mention this because when we read Jewish writings, especially before the time of Jesus... But even since the 1930s, when we read Jewish writings, we read from a people who are deeply, deeply, intimately familiar with oppression, with pain, as a people group. Go back and read the Psalms. I challenge you to read Psalm 44. You'll have a hard time believing that came from the mouth of someone who loved God. Most of the Psalms... Most of the Psalms, these are the, this is songbook of the Bible, 150 Psalms right in the middle of your Bible. Huge. Right? These are the songs that the people of God have been singing for thousands of years. Most of the Psalms are songs of lament. They're songs of pain. They're songs of struggle. 
This comes from a people group who are very familiar with what it is to be in pain and in struggle, in turmoil. Most of the Psalms of Lament end with some note of hope. They end on some note of, but God will vindicate us. God will save us. But our hope and our trust is in God. Psalm 44 is not one of those. Psalm 44 is one of only two or three Psalms that has no hope in it. Psalm 44 is a petition to God. It says, look, we are suffering. We are in pain. And we haven't done anything wrong this time. That's, that's what the psalm reads. In fact, the, psalm, the psalmist himself says, if we had done something wrong, we would deserve this, but we didn't. So God, where are you? And the psalmist goes on to remind God of all the times in the past that God has come through for his people. Trying to remind God, hey, this is who you are, and this is who we are, and this is what you've done for us in the past. Why aren't you doing that now? Why are you leaving us here? This is the tradition that Jesus is from. These are the people from which Jesus comes. If you are from a group of people who have suffered, who have struggled, who have been oppressed, who have been put down, know that Jesus is right there with you. He understands your situation and your plight better than you can imagine. Because this is where Jesus comes from. A people who are deeply acquainted with suffering. The very fact that Jesus comes and has the joy that he has is remarkable. It's amazing. And Jesus carries himself with a joy and a love and a lightness of being and a brightness that honestly, he probably shouldn't have in his circumstances. A poor guy born to a day laborer from a backwater in a little corner of the Roman Empire that didn't even hardly matter, except that it was a trade route. Jesus didn't have a lot of right to be joyful in his life. And yet, as we read the gospel accounts of Jesus, he carries himself with incredible joy because he knows why he's come. He knows he's come to bring hope and freedom to a people who are suffering. He knows that he's come to free people from their bonds, not least of which is their own internal bonds to their own sin, to their own brokenness. Jesus has come to bring freedom to a people in bondage. And as he frees people from their physical ailments and from their physical constraints, and as he brings people along with him, and he lifts up people who were put down by society, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the people who were on the margins of society, as he lifts them up, we see the joy of Jesus. And through his life, he carries himself that way until we come to this darkest night in history. The absolute darkest night for Jesus. The hardest time of his life. Jesus knows what is coming. He has the last supper with his apostles and his disciples, just like we have just done. He sits down to a meal with them, this Passover meal, and he tells them about what is going to happen. And then he says, let's go. They sing a hymn together, one of the Hallel, one of the psalms that you would sing on the Passover as you were heading to the temple to worship. He sings one of the psalms with his disciples, 
and then they head out. They're staying in the town of Bethany, which is just over a hill to the east of the city of Jerusalem. So they're staying in Bethany. Well, they were in Jerusalem. I'm sorry. They had the Last Supper in Jerusalem, probably at Mark's house, right? They have the Last Supper in Jerusalem. They had been staying at Bethany previously. They'd come into the Jerusalem. Now they're heading back out. They've been in Jerusalem. They've had the Last Supper. Now they're heading back out, and they go to this olive grove, the Garden of Gethsemane. It means olive press. There's this olive grove there, and he's gathered with his disciples, and, and he takes three of them away a little ways. He grabs Peter and James and John, and he says, guys, come with me. We're going to go a little ways further. And then Jesus says, hey, stay here and pray with me. I'm going to go over there because I need to be alone with my father for a minute, but I don't want to be too far from you. I need your support. And he goes off about a stone's throw away, right? You you can still hear him. You can still see him. And Jesus walks off and he, he begins to pray. And here we see the joyous Jesus break down in a depression. What else can mean I am distressed to the point of death? Jesus is not someone who is clinically depressed. He's not carrying himself with that melancholy. But now, in this moment, Jesus is feeling the full weight of everything that is about to happen to him. And we see the joyous Jesus break down before his Father before the Lord God. And Jesus, who knows what the plan is, Jesus, who knows what has to happen, go to his Father and say, would you please make it different? Would you please make it so this doesn't have to happen? Is there any other way, Dad, than what's coming? And if there is, please make it so. We see Jesus here calling upon his Father and begging, begging for another way. When you read the text of Scripture, when you read the words that are written, you got to know that more was going on, more was being said. I don't really imagine this prayer from Jesus was a one-liner. Imagine Jesus is there in prayer, and what we're reading is only the tiny snippet of the most important part, but that this is a longer conversation Jesus is having with his father. And he's begging his dad, if there's any other way, make it happen. If there's any way I can avoid what is coming and your will still be done, make it so. But in the end, your will be done. Jesus is not trying to skirt around the purposes of God here. Jesus is not trying to undermine what God wants to do. He wants what God wants. He just wants a different path to get there. And there is nothing wrong with what Jesus does here. One of the beautiful things about knowing that Jesus is sinless, that in his life he did nothing wrong ever, is that when we see moments like this, we are given permission. 
We are given permission to go before our loving Father, to go before our God in heaven and bear absolutely everything that is inside of us and know that we are free of rejection. We are given permission to come and bear our full selves and our full souls before our God in heaven and to know that whatever turmoil is happening in here is okay. It is okay. You have permission to lay it all before God. You have permission to lay it all out, whatever you are feeling. I, uh, I moved to Boston back in 2006, and I moved to work with an, an organization that worked in a, in a little neighborhood called Common Square, in a larger neighborhood called Dorchester, and at the time, it was one of the harder parts of Boston, one of the more difficult areas to be. And we were there because we were a community development ministry and we were serving the community. We were doing stuff um, to try and help our neighbors. And the very first night that I was there, first full night, I was there with some other staff members and we went to watch a movie in the main like, community house where we serve the neighbors. And as we're watching this movie, we hear three quick pops. And we duck down to the floor because there's a bay window that looks out onto the street and we know we, we don't want to be in that window, right? So we all drop to the floor. And then we hear somebody screaming, help me. And we look out the window and the neighbor across the street has been shot in the gut. And there's a kid on a bike who's just done a ride by heading out of town. And the neighbors are all moving. They're up and they're running and they're, they're there. The guy survived, I'm grateful to say. But that night, the director of our program came down and said, I want you to know, because we had just arrived, I want you to know if any of you want to leave, there's no judgment here. You can go back home. If any of you feel unsafe doing this work, please be free. And we all prayed together. And we spent some time processing and in silence. And I wrote in my journal that night. And it, I read it again later. And it is one of the most angry things I've ever written in my life. I mean, I was getting, I was getting as real with God as I could. And I'm not really proud of some of the language that I used in that letter to God. I'm not really proud of my tone necessarily. But in that moment, all I could think of was, Why? Why the hell would this happen now? Why on earth, God, are you allowing this thing to happen right now? And it was really self-centered. All my rage was, yeah, there was righteous indignation over the injustice of this kid shooting my neighbor. But a lot of it was also just, why is this happening to me? As so much of our anger and indignation is about me. Why is this happening to me or to us? my little group of people. And I, I felt ashamed of that letter to God until the next day when we were processing our thoughts and processing our feelings and I found out everybody else had had the same feelings. And our director, listening to all of us process our feelings and listening to the anger in that room and the frustration and the why gods and all of that took us all and gave us permission to feel whatever we were feeling and to know that God already knew the status of our hearts. He already heard our inner thoughts. 
he was right there feeling with us, and that Jesus was as brokenhearted over what had happened as any of us were more so because of the injustice of it. And to know that Jesus was right there with us in our hardship and validated everything that we were feeling and didn't judge us or hold over us any of the things we had written or felt or said since then because we were being real with him. You have the permission to be as real with God as you want, as you can be. Because I'm pretty sure that what bothers God is not the words you use when you're being real with him or the feelings you're feeling when you're being real with him. What would bother God more than anything is you trying to cover it up like he didn't already know. What would bother our Father more than anything is us trying to hold it all together and put on a nice face for Him who knows our hearts better than we do. What your Father in Heaven wants from you is to be honest with Him. Just as Jesus has been honest with Him here. And I think one of the reasons that so many of us aren't honest with Him is because we don't have the kind of relationship with him that Jesus did. I think when we fail to be honest with God, it's because we don't know him well enough to be honest with him. It's because we, we fear that God is truly some monster, or we fear that God is really, regardless of whatever we've said, regardless of whatever theology we hold, we actually fear that when we are real with God, we will not meet with mercy and grace, but we will meet with judgment. All too often, I think we try and dress ourselves up and we, we hold back from God because we're afraid of his reaction. Despite whatever statements of faith we've held and despite whatever things we've said before and despite whatever our church says and whatever we sing, we're really afraid that we're going to meet with a judgmental monster when we come to God. And so we hold back and we're not real with him. We're not honest with him. And if anything, this episode right here where Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, more in touch with the Father and more in touch with the Holy Spirit than any person who's ever lived, kneels down, not even kneels down, falls prostrate before his Father and says, God, I know what you want me to do. I know the path, but I really wish there was a different way. Can you please, please change it for me? If that doesn't give us permission to be honest with whatever we're feeling, then there isn't permission. Our Savior, our King, our brother Jesus says to us, just lay it all out there before God. Lay it all before him. Let him see it all. Because he won't, he can't act on your behalf if you're holding back. If we're trying to put on a good faith face. And so Jesus gives us permission to be real and to be honest. Here's the other thing this prayer teaches us that's going to be really, really hard for us to hear. Is that Jesus knows what it's like for God to say no. So many of us are struggling with unanswered prayers. So many of us are struggling 
with hearing from God. So many of us are struggling when God says to us, that's not the best thing. And God says no to the prayer that we pray. And they can be such good things. Was it wrong for Jesus to want another way than the cross? It wasn't wrong for Jesus to want another way than the suffering he would have to endure. It was not wrong for Jesus to want the will of God to be done, but to be done in a way very different than what was laid out before him. But God's answer to Jesus' desperate plea was no, son. This is the way. This is the way. We have to go through this together. We have to hold on through this together. The plan can't change and the work still be done. And there are lots of us who are struggling with that right now. There are lots of us who are struggling with prayers to God that we feel like God is saying no and we don't know why. We don't understand. And the Bible's answer to that is not to reveal everything to us. The Bible's answer to that is not to tell us, yes, but God has something better in mind for you. That's not actually what the Scripture says. What the Scripture says is that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15 the scripture's response to us in our time of suffering, when our prayers are not answered in the way that we would hope, when we're not seeing the outcome that we so desire, is to say, Jesus didn't get everything he asked for. And he sympathizes with us in every one of our weakness. Jesus knows what it's like for God to say no. Because God's purpose is larger than my individual life. God's purpose was larger than Jesus' suffering. And you and I could not be here if Jesus had walked any other path. You and I could not know the intimacy that we get with God. We couldn't know the forgiveness of sins. We couldn't know what it's like to be in this family, bonded together by the blood of Jesus, had Jesus taken any other path. But he walked the road set before him. And Hebrews 12 says something really weird. Hebrews 12 says that he went to the cross for the joy set before him. And sometimes we stop there because we like that. Jesus chose to endure the cross for the joy of obeying his father and being united to us. Hebrews 12 begins, therefore, let us hold fast among this great cloud of witnesses, remembering that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. But then we forget that it also says Jesus went to the cross despising its shame. Jesus went for the joy of obeying his Father and uniting us to him. And yet he despised the shame of it the whole way. 
That's what this prayer in Gethsemane is about. It's about Jesus despising the shame of the cross, despising the pain of the cross, and yet being obedient to his Father for the joy of knowing what he was accomplishing, for the joy of knowing that you and I could be free from our sin, could be free to be bound together in this family of Christ, could know the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. Jesus despised the shame of the cross and put his despising on full display in this prayer to his father. And it was not wrong that he despised the shame. And yet Jesus' prayer ends with not my will, but yours be done. This is the hard road of following Jesus. Because when we follow Jesus, We follow a Savior who willingly went to a cross and despised the shame of it the whole way, but for joy went through with the plans of his Father and said to his Father, my desires are nothing to your plan. My wants and my ambitions are nothing to your good plan. And God, this seed being broken, this body being torn will only end in the glory of God in his church, and in his family. And so I will bow to the will of God no matter what it means for me right now. That's a hard word. It's so hard. And I'll be really, 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 really transparent with you. I'm preaching right now, right? I'm a middle-class white guy in a place where I've struggled and suffered personal losses. I've never known what it's like to have the world set against me from the beginning. I haven't suffered as Jesus and the Jewish people have suffered. I haven't suffered as marginalized and oppressed people groups have suffered. I'm standing up here and I get to say, whatever suffering we endure for Jesus is worth it for the plan of God. And I know there are people in this room looking at me and going, what have you suffered though? And so we turn to 2 Corinthians 4. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in the city of Corinth, and they've faced struggle. They've faced pain. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. It doesn't look like things are going to magically improve for the Corinthian church. And so Paul's writing to a people who are struggling who have lost their communities, who have lost relationships, who have lost business because of their connection to Jesus. He's writing to a community of people who are struggling with inner turmoil and strife. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to, to the end, to 18. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. So the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. 
And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul is writing to a group of people this crazy, radically diverse group of people in the city of Corinth who are struggling and suffering and saying, God's answer to your prayer for freedom from this suffering may be no right now. You may not see freedom from that struggle right now. But we press on, we walk forward into something far better than these momentary and light afflictions. Now you can bet anybody reading this letter at the time would have been like momentary and light. This is my life, Paul. And yet compared to the glory on hand, the glory of Jesus and the eternal life within us that will endure forever, never to be taken away, never to be crushed, never to be lost these momentary and light afflictions are as nothing. And this is why we can read in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the shame of the cross. And in following Jesus, there will be many times that you and I cry out in pain to our God, and our God's answer may be, not right now. But I have something better for the world. I have something better for you. And I want you to focus not on those external afflictions, but on the internal life that I have given you in Christ Jesus. This is why we get to be real with God. And this is why in the moments when we are struggling, when we are suffering, when we feel like God's answer to us is no, to the desperate pleas of our heart, we have the permission to come and bring our full selves before him. If you're struggling right now with something, if you're struggling for a family member who's sick or someone who doesn't know Jesus in your life and you're brokenhearted for them, or you're struggling with, with financial making ends meet, you're struggling with whatever it is and you are praying desperately before your God, I want you to know that he gives you permission to share whatever is on your heart in whatever way you're feeling it right now because he already knows what's going on inside of you. And regardless of his answer, know that our good and just God is working on your behalf for your good. And maybe you'll see the good now, and maybe you'll see it in eternity. But God is always good, and God is always working on your behalf, regardless of what's happening in the here and now. And so what Scripture gives us is a permission to be real with our God to be honest with our God, to beg and plead and to listen. And then what he gives us is a people to be around us. When Jesus was praying, you notice three times he came back. He grabbed these three guys and said, hey, come with me. I need your support. 
I need your moral support. I need you on my team. I need you praying with me. I need to know that you're there. And he comes back and he finds these guys sleeping. And he goes off and prays again and he comes back and he finds these guys sleeping. And he does it one more time. He goes out and he comes back and he finds these guys sleeping. Now I'm not going to get into their sleeping or their response or anything like that. What we see here though is God in the flesh, Jesus, our King, our Savior, our Lord, not doing it alone. We see him going back to his friends, looking for support. We see him grabbing a prayer circle and saying, pray with me, support me, be with me. I need you. And Jesus coming back to them over and over and over again saying, I need you. And if our king, if our God in the flesh, if Jesus himself needed his community around him to get through the suffering that was to come, how much more do you and I need one another? And so if the first lesson is we can be real with our God and say whatever is on our hearts and our minds and our good Father will walk with us through the struggle, the second is that he has given us one another to walk together. So in those moments when God's answer to our desperate plea may be no, we have a group of people who are going to persevere with us, who are going to walk through the pain with us, who are going to pray with us and support us and be there as a family to hold us And so Christian, regardless of what you've been taught in the past, regardless of how you felt, or regardless of how respectful you might feel trying to dress up your prayers, know that God invites you to be honest with him. And in your honesty and in your struggle and in your begging with God and pleading with God, he has given you a community of people to walk with you and pray with you and hear from you. And not to judge those feelings and not to judge the way you're praying, but just to stand with you in solidarity and to walk toward the Father together. And so lean in. This is why we need each other. This is why Jesus and me is not enough. We got to be together in this thing. Be reminded of God's goodness, be reminded of God's faithfulness. And be reminded that even Jesus needed his community. And even Jesus came and was honest with his father in all that he was feeling. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this prayer of Jesus that gives us permission to be real and honest with you in every circumstance and situation. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't try to do it alone. And you've called us to this community, to this family, to walk together through whatever struggles we are having and to know that our good Father, our good and just and faithful God is there listening and walking with us through it all. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.